she said, Deacon from a land down under Where women glow and men thunder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? Yeah You better run, you better take cover Yeah You better run, you better take cover Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cider Nation podcast, a unique baseball podcast brought to you by Jay Birdie Baseball Company. Get your Canadian baseball apparel at jbirdie.ca and make sure to follow them on social media. Today, we have former MLB left-handed pitcher and NBA player Mark Hendrickson. Thanks for coming on, Mark. You're welcome. Glad to be here. I guess first things first, Mark, could you talk to us a little bit about kind of what sports looked like for you growing up? Well, I was kind of whatever was in season was what I wanted to to play. Um, you know, today's generation of kids don't go outside as much. They have a lot more distractions, a lot more opportunities. Uh, you know, for me growing up, that was just what we did. So I was in the Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, part just a little bit north of Seattle in a town called Mount Vernon, Washington. So, you know, we spent our free time outside and that was doing various sports, depending on what was in season. And I just kind of gravitated to any sport. That's just what I enjoyed doing. I was good at it. And, and I spent majority of my time playing whatever I could, whether it was with my brother, with my friends, you know, in local leagues. That's just kind of what I gravitated toward. And, you know, like I said, depending on what was in season, that was of interest to me. So I'd watch something on TV, then I'd go outside and play and, you know, pretend I was so-and-so. And that's um, just kind of spent most of my childhood. And then I guess, Mark, kind of more specifically, like kind of what did it look like baseball for you growing up? Uh, you know, baseball for us, especially it's, it's interesting because being in the Pacific Northwest uh, part of the country, you know, we had a lot of rain that we had to deal with in, in springtime. So, you know, our baseball seasons growing up, whether that was in Little League or extending up into high school, you know, was kind of compressed to maybe a two or three month season. And then, uh, you know, summer ball you know, back when I was a kid was not as extensive as it is now. So we, you know, we had an opportunity to play, but it wasn't something that involved, you know, a big time commitment. So, you know, for me, I, I think that's why you see a lot of guys who are in and from the Northwest or in colder climates tend to perform better when they become professionals because they're not getting overused as a kid. You know, you get down to those warm weather parts of the country in the United States and you've got kids that are playing in the fall, they're playing in the spring, they're playing in the summer. There's just really no time off. And so for for me and for a lot of the pitchers, especially up in that part of the country, you know, we just didn't get overused because there wasn't the amount of games and the amount of wear and tear, you know, on us from a young age. And I think that was very beneficial to a lot of players long term. And I guess, Mark, kind of like, what did it look like recruiting wise for you, like college, you know, I guess with being a multi-sport athlete there, kind of what did that look like recruiting wise? Well, everybody thought that, you know, basketball was further ahead because it's like, well, why did you choose basketball? Well, growing up, it's kind of like I knew how the baseball draft worked. I knew the minor leagues were in the summers. That's when I played majority of my baseball up there as a kid anyway. So for me, going to college was important within my family, number one. Number two, I really enjoyed the uh, 
the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. That was something that was very important to me as well. And I always knew based on where I had grown up that I could always play baseball in the summer. So it wasn't really something that I felt I had to go play baseball in college because I knew I always had that summer to fall back on. So I felt like that was probably the best way to do it. And I got recruited heavily, you know, by basketball schools coming out of high school and likewise was getting, um, you know, scouted by professional teams for baseball. But I also had seen enough guys in the past make the decision kind of prematurely, meaning making a decision to commit to one thing versus the other at a young age and really finding out that maybe they weren't ready for that. And I think that's one thing that always kind of drove me to keep control. I'd never wanted to sign out of high school because I felt, what if they want me to commit to baseball full time? And I didn't want to feel like I'd have my decision made by somebody else because I made a decision out of high school. So for me to keep control of my rights, so to speak, was very important to me. And it was very valuable um, decision because looking back, if I had gone to the minor leagues or spring training out of high school, I don't know where my career would have been because that lifestyle is very difficult. And I think what I learned in college, being that I was playing for a coach whose sole job was being a head coach, college provides everything for you so that you can be successful. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be basketball. It can be any sport you're in. But when you're on scholarship at a major university, they're giving you every aspect of help that you can, that you need to be successful. So they're managing your time. They're making sure you're accomplishing your work in the classroom. They're making sure you're taking care of your body in the weight room. They're making sure you're eating at proper, you know, nutrition at, at training tables that they have for, for athletes now. And you're learning how to manage your time when it comes to the athletic performance as well. So all those things I was learning at, you know, 18, 19 years old under the supervision of a university versus if I had signed and went to the minor leagues, yeah, they they have somewhat organized spring training but when these kids go off and start their seasons they're on their own mm. they have some semblance of things going on but they don't have the extent that college athletes have and i think that's where a lot of kids they see that money coming out of high school as a signing bonus and whoa i want to take that and then they realize whoa what i get into <laughs> and so for me it was helpful to have those four or five years in college it was helpful to have that experience in the NBA before I got to the minor leagues, because then I was better equipped of, of learning how to handle all that stuff because I had been exposed to that at a young age and was taught through trial and error, you know, at a younger age that was better able to prepare me for it. Yeah, that definitely makes sense there, Mark, right? You're kind of, you are on your own, especially again, pro ball, right? Yeah, I think pro ball is just... Unless give you're or, give or take, right? But yeah, if you're drafted and you know, if, if, if basically, I hate to say this, but if a team has a lot of money vested in you, they're going to give you more opportunities than somebody they don't have a lot of money vested in. Yeah, but and, and 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 put and I give baseball a lot of credit. They've come a long way because when I first started playing in the major leagues, you would be uh, I was blown away at some of the things that were old school baseball mentality. Some of it was they didn't care about nutrition. They weren't really caring about uh, 
you know, weight training and taking care of athletes and understanding that, Hey, even though it's not as much cardiovascular conditioning, the ability to play for six months and 162 games takes a lot out of a human, you know, a human body. And so now baseball has really transcended into, Hey, wait a minute, we've got to get up to par with basketball. We've got to get up to par with football. Some of these other major sports of, Hey, these are our commodities. So if we're putting a lot of money into them, we've got to make sure we're doing everything possible to get the best performance on a daily basis. And it has trickled down through some organizations to the minor leagues. But what you found when I was coming up, there was so many teams within an organization. There was so much money committed to the minor leagues that you almost didn't have all the resources available because it was such um, – you know, the money was spread out because it was such a big business to kind of keep all those teams and all those players employed and going. Now they've kind of condensed it and they've kind of shrunk it to where they're getting the the cream of the crop when it comes to the minor leagues. And so you're getting better talent, you're getting better, you know, less for teams to manage, and you're able to provide more for your organization as a whole. And that's really what's unique about baseball because most teams don't have that kind of commitment. Most organizations in professional sports, they don't have six different teams within their (laughs) umbrella of their organization. (laughs) That's a lot to take care of. Basketball has 12 guys, maybe 15. Yeah. That's all they got. So guess what? You're going to get all those resources ahead of time because they understand the wear and tear. Same with football. But baseball is kind of unique in that way. And Mark, you got drafted six times. I mean, I, that's got to be up there, maybe a record. Um, could you explain I think it's close. that? Maybe? I think it's close. The, the way it worked out, it was never intended to be that way. But I think what happened, you know, obviously, like a lot of high school athletes, I got drafted out of high school. Yeah. But because I did not sign and I went and I played basketball, I did not fall under the same rules as somebody who went and played college baseball. If somebody had gone and played college baseball, gotcha. okay. then they were not eligible to be drafted again until after their junior year. Gotcha. Well, I went to college, went back in the draft. Went back to college, went back in the draft because I didn't sign. I did play baseball at Washington State my junior year, but because it was my junior year, I still was eligible for the draft. Hmm. Didn't sign, went back my senior year, got drafted again. And then believe it or not, I got drafted again after my uh, first year in the NBA. So that's how you get six years. And some of it I tell people was serious. Some of it wasn't. Um, Some teams were kind of like you'll see and hear, you know, Russell Wilson, because I'm from the Northwest as an example. Oh, he's got drafted by so-and-so. Sometimes they just draft athletes to hold their rights. They know yeah. they're not going to sign. It's more publicity. It doesn't cost them to draft them. And they just say, hey, if they ever decide to play baseball, I have their rights. So you see some of that. I think that happened a couple years for me uh, when I was, uh, you know, in, in, I would say maybe sophomore, junior year of college, more so. But then it started to pick up again. And then uh, when it really got serious was obviously when Toronto drafted me. They had been following me. In the summer, I was playing baseball. I went up to the Sky Dome and pitched for them before batting practice in, in September that year. And then we ended up working out a deal where I could come play um, when my basketball season was over. So it, it really, the timing worked out pretty well. 
all things considered. Yeah, and I guess kind of post-college there, Mark, kind of what did it look like for you? I know you ended up playing in the NBA for a few seasons, but then kind of when did that baseball start kind of kicking well, in? Well, you know, with the baseball scenario for most people is when you get in the minor leagues, you know, you have a couple of years under the same affiliate. Then you start to get to the point where you're getting into uh, the Rule 5 draft, where you start to have to protect certain players, and so as I was playing my three years, I was climbing the ladder. I think I got up to double A and I got an invitation to the Arizona Fall League, which is a very prestigious league. And so, you know, my baseball agent at the time, I had two different agents and um, he had basically said, look, if you want anybody to take you serious, you can't play three months out of the year. You're going to have to commit to this. This is an opportunity for you to go play against the best prospects, you know, in all of baseball in the fall. So I said, OK, you know what, let's go ahead and do it. So I went and did it. And then I was like, okay, well, this is my protection year. And, you know, for people out there that don't know, protection year is basically an organization saying, hey, if we're going to put you on our 40 man roster, that means no other team can, you know, can take you. We value you that much within our organization. We're going to put you on a 40 man. And then so on. Likewise, they go down and then they put you on the AAA roster, the AA roster. And if a team picks you up in the Rule 5 draft, that say is you're on a triple a roster you have to be in the big leagues with them the following year so i had a very good arizona fall league stat wise played very well performed well i thought okay here's here here we go i didn't get protected by toronto on their 40 man and the rule five draft came and nobody picked me so i was going to be basically protected by toronto but for me that was kind of writing on the wall like okay wait a minute i had a pretty good fall league against top prospects I didn't get put on the 40 man. Nobody picked me up. So what's that say about the industry and what they think of me? And so at that time I had got, looked at my basketball career and I was like, you know what? I was kind of borderline, you know, trying to make it kind of uh, in between the outside. You know, I, I had some stints with different teams, but I really kind of looked at my potential and say, wait a minute, I've got some advantages here in baseball that you just you just don't get that often. So I said, but I need to see how good I can be. So I called up Toronto and I said, guess what? I'm coming full-time to spring training. I'll see you in February. And I went to big league camp. I did not break with the team. I spent that, that year in AAA. And then the following year, I likewise spent time in AAA. And then I got my call, you know, up to the big league. So it was what, a year and a half of playing full time before I got the call, but it was a scary moment, but it was just one of those. I believed in myself and I, I, I took the path of what I had maybe a greater potential at. And I knew baseball could, you can play baseball a lot longer than you can basketball on average. So I, I took that into consideration as well. When you touched on it there, Mark, could you talk to us a little bit about your MLB debut? Um, I'd rather not. If we oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was the sky dome. I'm, I'm 28 years old. You know, it's ironic because I've, I played an NBA game in the sky dome. I think I might be the only person that's ever played two professional sports in the sky yeah. dome, believe it or not. <laughs> um, but the way the sky dome is set up because the retractable roof, your bullpens, you feel like you're in a, in a, in a dome. So I'm there warming up. I, I've been a starter my whole career. So I come up and I'm coming out of the bullpen. So I, I, that's new to me, and I had no clue what's going on. And then when I'm running in, I, I can feel my heart pounding like, oh, my gosh. Like, I know the magnitude 
of what is happening here. And, and maybe it was just the commitment and the life's journey that it really was overwhelming for me. And I get out there on the mound and believe it or not, the, the wind's blowing. And I'm thinking, what in the world? This is the weirdest thing because it's such a big stadium that when you're pitching with the roof open, sometimes you're getting wind blowing in your face because the way the wind currents are in the stadium. And so I'm out there, I, you know, like every kid making his debut, you're just, your heart's pounding. You're just trying to control the adrenaline. I'm, I'm pitching against the Seattle Mariners. God forbid that, you know, it's a game televised in my hometown area. So now people are watching. I, I strike out the first guy and I'm thinking, okay, all right, here we go. Um, I didn't get another out. That was my only out. I ended up leaving the game. They had scored a couple runs. I left a couple guys on base. The next guy comes in after me. Those runs score. So I give up five runs in a third of an inning. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. That was that that was my debut. But <laughs> truth be told, you know, it's gonna happen. I, I I settled in the remainder of the two months and and pitched very, very well. The rest of that year, I got a couple starts and, and took advantage of those starts. And then all of a sudden. I kind of pitched myself into the rotation the following year. So it was a learning experience. It's not the debut that I wanted to have, but it was still a debut. You know, you can't change it. It is what it is. Um, it, it just, it happens. But I think the way I bounce back is what I remember the most. Was there any difference there, Mark, between like your ML or sorry, your MBA debut? Um. I'm trying to think. I don't even remember my NBA debut. <laughs> it, 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 honestly, the way that basketball is versus baseball, it's a little bit different. You yeah, know, when I, mean, I was coming in and I'm on the pitcher's mound, you're all by yourself. Yeah. It was uh, middle of August. Everybody else is in the season. You know, for me, it was just like, okay, it's a debut. And that happens throughout the year. Guys will make their major league debut, of course. But it's not the same versus, you know, when I came to Philly, we started, I was on the team from, from day one. So I think I made my debut within the first week when I played, but it was just one of those things like, oh, hey, the season's already started. We're all together. You know, you just happen to go out and play and that just happens to be your NBA debut. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think it has as much attention per se as maybe baseball. Yeah, because a little more about one-on-one, right? Or yeah, yeah the one-on-one, -on -one, it's your one moment. It was the middle of a game, you know, those kind of things, especially for a pitcher. Yeah. You know, it's one thing if a hitter goes up there and guess what? He's hitting, he's not expected to get a hit. You're, you're kind of playing with house money to some degree. But for a pitcher, there's a lot of things that can happen that are just, you know... <laughs> A lot can happen and, and usually not in a good case. And, and my debut was an example of that. All of a sudden, hey, thanks for the big leagues. Now all of a sudden it's like, okay, great. Now what? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of stuff out of your control as a pitcher, right? There's only so much that you can do out there. You can, who knows, right? Make good pitches, defense, umpiring, right? Well, yeah, honestly, the, the thing I was probably the most happy about is, is once I got called up to the big leagues, I never went back down. Mm, nice. You know, because that, that is one thing that emotionally, mentally, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow at any sport. And I've seen guys come up and they come up for one day and then they go back down. Hmm. That's, that's hard to, that's hard to gear it back up. Then when you're back down in triple a, 
So at least for me, I was up for the remainder of the year. I got two months to kind of get my feet wet, get used to the lifestyle. I had, you know, the basketball experience that I could rely on, uh, which really helped. And, you know, it just catapulted me into my career, you know, in the big leagues and, you know, the future years. And then I guess, Mark, could you describe what type of pitcher you were and kind of what pitches you threw and velocity? Where were you at? Uh, believe it or not, I was kind of a finesse guy. Okay. I never, uh, you know, a lot of times in baseball, people don't realize, and I don't know what's true, but sometimes these radar guns in stadiums are juiced. Yeah. And what I mean by juiced, obviously, is they, they probably put up a number that the fans want to see what, what actually it's maybe not that fast. Yeah. You know, I've always said hitters will let you know if somebody's throwing, <laughs> you know, how hard they're throwing. And yep. for me, I always tried to throw hard. It just, my arm wasn't, it just didn't come out. You know, any pitcher that throws 88, it's not like he's throwing, you know, at 75%. No, he's throwing max effort. His just arm, you know, the velocity just doesn't come out of his arm the way it does other pitchers. And so throwing 88 to 90 miles an hour, not being able to get away with as many mistakes, I had to learn how to pitch. But I think the feel and the touch, that I had from my all around sport background, but especially even basketball, learning how to have touch and feel really kind of helped me pick up different pitches and have a feel for throwing a baseball, you know, around the strike zone. So I was, you know, curveball, fastball, change up for the most part. I tried a slider, I tried a, you know, fork ball, you know, those kind of things. But for the most part, those three pitches is what I had. Um, and I was kind of a control guy, uh, deception with my height played into it, but, um, you know, I had, I had to locate, I mean, that's just for most guys, you just have to locate in the big leagues. That's the biggest difference. Um, you know, and, and there's either have plus plus stuff as I like to tell people, or you have deception. You got to have one or two that separates guys from the minor leagues to making it in the big leagues cross the board, hands down. So if you don't have the plus plus stuff, that's just God given, you have to have some kind of deception. And that could be a way a guy throws. That could be somebody like me who had, you know, six foot nine and a half, you know, that was deception. Um, so there's various things that separate guys from the minor leagues. Cause some people will see guys in triple A and go, how come he's not in the big leagues? Well, he might throw 95, but he might be very easy to pick up. And so hitters can see it very well. So sometimes it doesn't matter how hard you throw. It's just, do you have movement? Do you have deception? Or do you have that velocity that just is God-given that's hard for any hitter to catch up to? And is that something, Mark, did you get any feedback from hitters? Like with your height, did that 88-90 play differently to them? <laughs> Yeah, it, it shortened the distance to, to home plate, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I think I always tell young pitchers, I said, you know what? Go talk to hitters. Always talk to – if you trust a hitter at, at any level, you trust them, uh, have conversations with them because they'll give you feedback. They'll let you know because even if you sit around the dugout and just listen to hitters when they come in, they will say different things about other pitchers. And so – that is a very good learning curve as a pitcher, as well as being a hitter. When I got to, to the National League and started to hit, my perception of pitching completely changed because now I was seeing pitching from a different angle. And then I realized how difficult it is to hit. 
And as a result, that gave me more confidence because I was so used to seeing home plate from the pitcher's mound, which can actually lock us into some bad habits. But seeing it from the hitter's perspective really kind of opened up my eyes to how difficult it is to cover the whole plate. You know, and that's something that most hitters, and especially in the big leagues, they cannot cover both sides of the plate. They'll be looking one side and react to the other side. You cannot look the whole side because it's just, you know, the pitchers are so good. You just don't have the time to look at both sides. So that is something that kind of opened my eyes a little bit um, and just made me a better pitcher as a whole. Yeah, just not giving the hitter too much credit, right? Like it is hard to hit a baseball in general. And I always kind of tell guys just to watch batting practice, right? And, you know, hitters are getting themselves out, just fastballs down the middle. And, you know, obviously there's good well, hitters, right? But <laughs> yeah, and a lot of it's the mentality of a pitcher. There's there's so much time. It's it's similar to golf. You yeah. have too much time to to really get into your own head. So I, I really work the mental side of pitching. As I got older and really understood, hey, I need to have a routine. I need to have a mindset of what I'm trying to do here. Because it's funny because even, even a hitter's stance can now all of a sudden, as a pitcher, you take away your power and give it to the hitter based on just the fact that he may be standing like he's very hitterish. You know, I mm-hmm. say that all the time. Jim Tomey had a stance that he looked like he would just crush it every time. And, <laughs> you, you, I mean, throwing a pitch. But it's just, you know, certain things with certain guys that every pitcher and every hitter can tell you, honestly, the certain players may not be the most well-known players, but there, there'll be ones they can name probably five hitters and five pitchers that gave them fits. And you think, why is that? Now, it's hard to say. It might be the littlest thing, but those are things that kind of are the cat and mouse game of baseball, which is fascinating between a pitcher and a hitter, but it also can really change the course of an at-bat of who has control and who has power. Yes, pitcher has the baseball, but I'm not going to sit here and lie. There's times where I'm thinking about the previous result, and now that's gone and over with, and I've got to somehow get ready to pitch to the next guy, and mentally I wasn't prepared to do that Hmm. because it was such a short period of time, and you see that a lot with young kids. And that's why kids will go ball one, ball two, ball three. Maybe they just gave up a bases loaded double that scored three runs and now their team's down by one. And they're still focused on that. Now they can't even throw the strikes because they're mentally, they're still thinking about the result that just happened. Mm. Yep. And, and and they can't, they can't comprehend well, why can't I throw strikes? Well, here's why, <laughs> you know, and that's the part of pitching that you really have to grow. It's not just a physical part. It's that mental part to be able to be, consistently in that same state of mind regardless of the results because like you said you throw one down the middle the guy could pop it up you throw a great pitch and get hit it out of the ballpark yeah how do you handle those yeah you know and then mark it's sidearm nation and you kind of later on in your career you ended up kind of dropping down there could you talk yeah. us a little bit about that kind of transition for you um that was that was kind of um the the genius of Buck Showalter. You know, I, I had Buck manage me uh, when I was with the Orioles. He's a great manager. He really thinks the game uh, at a very high level, a very detailed manager. And he was just thinking, hey, what ways can you be creative? Meaning the, the overhand delivery was not working for me anymore. 
you know, I was what kind of things can I create deception wise? It's like, man, what do you try sidearm? 610 sidearm? Oh gosh. <laughs> and the thing that I appreciate, and I've 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 said this many, many times, I appreciate, you know, the Japanese pitchers, especially, because they have tremendous, you know, if you look at a Japanese pitcher, they have very complex deliveries for the most part, but they have tremendous balance. Yes. Throughout their delivery. And I think what I learned going to sidearm now, obviously I'm going to sidearm sidearm at 38 years old. Okay. The wear and tear on my body, um, to have that flexibility and that athleticism to be able to do a different motion was very, very challenging for me. Um, Mm -hmm. so I gained a lot of respect for guys that went sidearm and usually, Guys would go sidearm as kind of a last resort. Yeah. And can't really say a guy goes sidearm growing up because it's such a complex delivery. And honestly, for whatever advantage you're having against maybe the same side hitter, you're losing a little bit of that against the opposite uh, side hitter because they're seeing the ball a little bit better. So for me, you know, when I first did it, um, it just felt completely foreign. I had a hard time. I had to somehow learn consistency of where that arm slot needed to be, you know, where my body felt comfortable. And then ultimately, could I command the baseball? And what I found initially in my first experience in AAA is I had to I had to pitch a completely different way than what I was used to pitching when I first came up in AAA, when I was a left-handed pitcher coming up in AAA, I always kept, I pitched inside to pitch away. I know that's not the norm, but what I found in the minor leagues is guys really struggled to keep their hands inside the baseball. So if I was a left-handed pitcher pitching against a right-hander, I could own the inside part of the plate pretty easily. And then, you know, kind of go soft away or hard away and, and get outs in the big leagues. That doesn't work as well because guys, you know, eventually can handle inside fastballs. They can keep their hands inside and that's obviously where their power is. So I kept going and, you know, when I was doing, you know, the sidearm thing, I kept going in and against righties that kept giving up home runs. I'm like, what am I doing? It's like they were seeing the baseball from a sidearm. It was pretty easy angle. They were picking up the baseball. So I really had to learn not only myself, but then I had to learn how are hitters reacting to me? And that was a challenge. And I never, you know, quite got it to where I wanted it to be. You know, when I started to get command, when I felt comfortable with it, um, you know, then I had to work on the off speed and I never really got the off speed. And for me, I was in, I was in AAA one year. I played independent ball one year. I was really motivated because I wanted to see how it would play against big league hitters. That was my whole motivation. I think the best statistical year I ever had with independent ball in my hometown here in York, where I live, I played in the Atlantic league and I really had fun with it. And I was, I ended up being a closer and I had fun with the sidearm and had, I think I gave up three runs all year. Very good statistical season, got an invite back to spring training. But for me, it was like, I need to see what it plays like. And so I had that motivation, even in the Atlantic league, I was still motivated. I had that mental fortitude to, to come focus each and every day I was 40 years old. Hey, I'm, I want to see this. I got the call. I said, hey, Orioles, I want to come to spring training. They gave me the invite. I go to spring training. I start preparing. You know, I'm really committed to what I'm doing. And then I remember getting out there game after game. I didn't have that many games, but I had games where I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm standing on this mound. 
I'm pitching sidearm and I don't have anything that can get this guy out. Uh, yeah. You know, I just, I didn't have, you know, an Atlantic league hitter complete compared to a major league hitter is completely different. Triple a hitter compared to a major league hitter, completely different. And so I just, I didn't have it. And then that was kind of the writing on the wall for me. Like, this is just not going to work. And if I know I can't play at the highest level, mentally, I'm not going to be committed to doing this because I've done it for 19 years. You know, I'm not going to just trek along the minor leagues, hanging on or playing independent ball at 40 years old when I've got a family and kids. It's like, nope, it doesn't play at the big league level. I'm done. That's my, that's my, that's my sign that, you know, hey, mentally and physically, I don't have the commitment to do it on a daily basis if I'm not playing at the highest level. So that was kind of my thing. I tried it. I realized how hard it was. I, I ultimate respect for the guys that can do it because it's a, it's a tremendous tear. Wear and tear on your body is tremendous. And so it takes a lot of athleticism to be very good as a sidearm pitcher because it's not easy, especially if you've been going from over top. Did you lose any velo from there, Mark? Um, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Okay. More, more so on my pitches that were off speed. You gotcha. know, I lost, I go from a, you know, somebody who's tall, who had good angle. And now all of a sudden I'm going flat angle. So, you know, a breaking ball. I mean, I worked with Darren O'Day. He was with the Orioles. He had a big career uh, as a yep. relief pitcher. He had a very tight slider. So even though his plane was kind of moving left to right, which if you think about it, when a hitter's swinging, that's right on their bat plane and it's not going up or down. So it becomes very easy to hit. But he had such a tight slider when he was going from down under that it was really effective both against righties and lefties. And and I just never – I never got that. Hmm. You know, that was one of the pitches that was just very loopy. It just kind of rolled up to home plate and just kind of was, like I said, it's the same plane. It's going side to side, but it's not creating any depth hmm. and makes it very hittable for, for, a, for a professional hitter who's good. Yeah. So I, I struggled to pick that up. That was something that was always a challenge from the, from the start. Well, you mentioned Darren there. Um, did you have any other teammates that were sidearm submarine pitchers, Mark? Yeah, I'm trying to think offhand. Quite a few. You'd see a lot of lefties that would do it. Yeah. Um, and I think when I was in the big leagues, and this is kind of where I credit Buck Showalter, he wanted a variety. You know, out of his bullpen, he wanted options and he wanted different looks that he could yeah, present yeah. in his in his matchups. He was not somebody you're seeing baseball nowadays kind of goes with if you don't throw 95 to 100 you're not in somebody's bullpen yeah. so they realize that hey velocity for a short stint for one at bat we're coming in with stuff that's going to be hard to get to we have more room for mistakes and this is what we're going to bring and you start to see that more and i think the purists in baseball i would think probably are enamored with the velocity don't get me wrong, but I think the people that truly like pitching and can understand how many different ways there are to be an effective pitcher are probably not liking the fact that baseball is going to just power because I think it gave everybody an opportunity. It gave guys who are a little lefty who threw 85 miles an hour who could drop down and do sidearm. It gave them opportunities, you know, to have a career because somebody valued 
what you brought. And I think a lot of it stems from what you're seeing with even the way they're managing starting pitching. You know, when I was up starting pitching, the, 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 the horses of the league, the guys that, you know, you rode every fifth day, number one, star, they piled up innings. And even if there was trouble in the game in the seventh or eighth inning, they stayed in. And you saw that even before my generation where starting pitchers, they pitched. Now they, they pull starting pitchers so soon and they shorten the game and try to make it a bullpen game. And that's why you're seeing guys who have velocity in a bullpen because they're thinking, Hey, if I can run four guys out there that throw 95 plus miles an hour with fresh <laughs> arms, I'm going to shorten the, the opportunity. And I think it's a matter of just baseball going in waves. You know, I think eventually it's going to change because when you have that many guys that you're shortening the game, you've got to have everybody on. And yep. I, I think sometimes what you lose is starting pitchers now they don't have those they don't know what to do when they're late in games hmm. you know what do you do when, when it's the, they're looking over their shoulder going take me out take me out nobody wants that athletes want to compete absolutely you know and sometimes you got to learn basketball same thing fourth quarter you're dead tired guess what suck it up and compete and you learn a little <laughs> something about yourself but yep. i've seen enough managers i've seen enough analytics they're always going to get second guessed and they're going to play the numbers. Hmm. A lot of them are going to play the numbers to save their butt and say, hey, guess what? I played the percentages the way you're supposed to. And I don't know if that makes a great leader on a, on a team because to me, the best managers, the best coaches that I've played with have that little instinct where they trust their eyes, you know, yeah. and they're confident to make that decision. And I don't, you don't see that across the board. And, and that's the part that I think is is getting a little bit lost when it comes to the analytic part. That plays a part. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, like but a tool, right? A tool, but you're human beings playing the game. Yes. And, and you know what? Statistics can't tell you everything because they are human beings that are playing the game. So yes. until you remember that and keep addressing that, you got to have a, a good mix and a good blend. I think the pendulum swung one way the entire way, and now it's kind of coming back to where, hey – We've got to have a little bit of both. And I think you're seeing games possibly be managed that way. And hopefully you do, because those are the best managers who, who run the numbers, but then also trust what they see. And then I guess kind of post-playing there, Mark, you did uh, kind of got into the coaching world and, you know, pitching coach there for a little bit. How was that transition? Uh, I liked it. I liked it. I, you know, one thing I, I have respect for people who commit to that profession. Yeah. because it's a tremendous commitment. I noticed, I mean, the Orioles were great. I, I mean, I had a lot of opportunities to coach. You know, it was not something that I was set on saying, hey, I want to coach in the minor leagues. No, I wanted to get to the big leagues. Um, and the first, the two years I did it, I was in Aberdeen, which was very close to, to my hometown. I was able to commute, which was good. But what I found was I was, I was committing so many hours I was missing out on my summers and I say missing out on my summers, meaning I have kids now. Um, yeah. I've, I've played the career like, yes, baseball is important to me. Sports are important to me, but it's not what I'm all about and who I am. There's more to me than just that. And I really had a hard time with that because you know what, you know, the kids are young only once. And so they don't care what mommies and daddies do. They just want mommies and daddies to be around. Uh, and that was the big thing that was very difficult for me because I had, 
you know, I didn't have to go through the full commitment of a baseball season. They, they were very flexible in allowing me to do various things that I don't think I would have gotten anywhere else. But I also didn't want my kids just thinking, oh, dad goes to the ballpark. Dad goes to the ballpark. And that's all we do for nine months out of the year. That, uh, you know, because it's not really about me anymore. It's one thing if you're doing it at the highest level. But when you're doing it in the minor leagues, you're, you, I'm, I'm not justifying the money. So if I'm, if I'm doing this, I'm not, I I can make more money outside of baseball. So what am I really doing this for? I mean, I loved the interaction with the the pitchers. Love that part. That's only one part of it. (laughs) You know, there's so much more to it. And for me, I just, it, it didn't make sense. It was very difficult the second year, especially. Because my kids are like, oh, daddy's going to the field at 12 noon in the middle of the summer. Or daddy's gone on a road trip for a week. And that put a lot of strain on my wife, too. You know, we had some young kids in in the house, and it was very difficult um, for her to do that lifestyle. So I respect the guys that do it. I mean, I really do. They they, they must love it. And, and they're not doing it just for the money. Because there's a, for everyone that's in the major leagues, there's a lot, about 10 guys in the minor leagues that are doing it and not really getting paid a whole lot. Yeah, no, they, very true. They, they love baseball and that's what they do. And to me, it was just not worth the cost because I had been a player for so long. So unless I had the perfect situation, it made it very difficult for me. And it, I struggled that second year because of the amount of time I was taking away, you know, from my kids. And I thought, okay, I, I, you know, I wanted to give it a commitment, but I, you know, for me, it was like, hey, I wanted to be in the big leagues. If I wasn't going to be in the big leagues, I had to rethink it. So, you know, could I have gotten there? Possibly. But I, I, to me, I had to make a decision sooner rather than later. So for me, it was, I have no regrets. Um, it just wasn't the right time for something like that. And then currently, Mark, uh, anything baseball-wise right now? Not or? really. Mostly yeah. basketball. I think that okay. some of the things uh, that I'm working at now is I've been into real estate. I've been, uh, you know, I do a lot of real estate investing uh, here in the York, Pennsylvania area, but I really have this itch to do more from an athletic standpoint. So I'm really kind of working on, you know, presenting some things that can go out to young athletes. And it's obviously, you know, with my sport background, with basketball, baseball, you know, just various things that I want to offer through my own personal website that can be things that can, you know, can apply to athletes, not only in the United States, but around the world that they can just, there's so many things I can expose people with the internet and how things are out there as far as training, nutrition, you know, guideline, mental coaching, various things that I think can help young athletes that I've been blessed to have experienced, but I've also been exposed to so many things that I think I can be relatable to the young athletes because I just spoke with uh, the Houston Cougars basketball team in the fall. Uh, my, my coach at Washington state, Kelvin Sampson was coaching, uh, has been coaching there and they just finished up. Uh, they just got knocked out of the NCAA tournament, but I went to a game um, in the fall and watched them play and got an opportunity to speak to them. So I think it's one of those things where giving back to young athletes to let them know, Hey, these are certain things you can do that can help benefit. Because I think there's so many athletes in the world that not only do it for fun, do it for exercise, do it for the competitiveness, but for athletes who want to strive to, to get to make their high school team. Maybe somebody wants to go to college. 
Uh, maybe somebody's blessed to go to the professional ranks. So there's a lot of, there's always going to be athletes. And I think for, for what I've experienced, that is an area that's really kind of, I'm itching to get involved with, because I think there's a lot of things that I can do to pay it back, so to speak on a, on a grander scale than maybe just working with 12 pitchers if I'm coaching a team. Yeah. So that's kind of the things I'm looking at. I say basketball now because my girls, I have four daughters, one's, one's out of the house, but we've got three that two of them now are into the basketball. So it kind of got me back to, Hey, I, I, I really enjoy basketball. I miss basketball. I coach my, my 10 year old, you know, those are things that because they're involved with it, I like the fact that I'm involved with it with them. So we're spending time together. They're not going to play baseball. Um, so I'm not really around baseball, but when I am, I'm into that too. It's kind of like I was as a kid, you know, whatever sport I'm around, I'm into it. I'm like, Oh yeah, I like this. And I'll watch any sport. I'm not, I'm not solely based on wanting one thing right now. It's the NCAA tournament, you know, the men and the women I've been watching that, you know, you get ready for opening day, you know, the NBA playoffs are around the corner, the NHL hockey playoffs are around the corner, you know, all those things are exciting to, to, to me to watch. So, um, you know, I'm involved in a lot of things. And so I think that's kind of, you know, where I'm at right now and where I look to go. Obviously, I don't have it up and running. Otherwise, I'd announce to your audience where to go, but it's going to be markahendrickson.com. Once I get that up, I'm going to have a lot of different things there for athletes that can, you know, provide information, training tools, various things for all sports that will apply. Because it's like I said, it's just something that I've been blessed to be exposed to so many different things that I think can be beneficial to the next generation. And then Mark, just quickly kind of going back to your basketball there, you know, kind of saw the ESPN documentary on that 96 draft. Could you just kind of talk to us quickly about kind of that draft and some of the players that were in it? Well, unfortunately for me, that was bad timing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm a senior coming out. I didn't have a whole lot of choices. And if you look at that documentary, it was amazing how many young players came out that year. Yeah. And they'll say it, you know, even in that documentary, probably the best draft class in the history of the NBA. And yeah. so to me, that, that, that's kind of cool to look back at it. Um, I mean, ironically, I was thinking, man, I was hoping I was going in the first round because there was a big difference between the first round pick and the second round pick. You know, what people don't realize about the NBA is there's just, there really is no turnover. So you know, for that year in the draft, if you were not in the first round, you, there was no guarantee you're making a team. Mm. And I think that's what makes it so difficult for people to truly understand how difficult basketball is to make it. Because, you know, football has seven or eight rounds, usually five or six of those picks latch on. You know, baseball, you got how many rounds and guys go right into the organization. Uh, but basketball, you know, majority yeah, of it. Yeah. It's two rounds and majority of the contracts are guaranteed. And now that's just, that's not saying what you have overseas either. You have a bunch of free agents that are trying to make teams as well. So it's a tough league to make it. Um, And so looking at that draft, it was kind of neat because I, I had lost track of some of the names. And so it was nice to watch it to go back and think, wow, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him. (laughs) And I can just remember just, you know, that night happening in a blur, you know, names were called, there's teams I worked out with, you know, ironically, I was not surprised that I went to Philadelphia. Uh, 
you know, that was the last pre-draft workout that I had. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had, I was hoping to go to Seattle. I had a good workout with Seattle pre-draft and they were late in the first round. They just came off the finals against the bulls and they didn't really have a need. So they traded out of the first round. So that was disappointing, but Philadelphia didn't surprise me because I had a great workout for them. It just, like I said, boom, it happens. Your name's called and boom, you know, the reaction of the family, the friends, and then all of a sudden you got to do your media commitments and, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, it was neat to look back. I can't remember. I mean, it's 25 years ago. It's amazing how, how time goes yeah. from how long that was and to see all the names and, and the guys and the success that they had. I mean, it, it's pretty neat, uh, that they did that documentary. It was good to see. Um, but it, it happened quick. It always does, but you always remember that. I think I remember that more than I do any of the drafts in baseball. Yeah, was it like, yeah, Iverson, Kobe, Nash, like very impressive draft. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> and then, Mark, it's just time for our ninth inning call to the bullpen. So just going to be some random questions just to learn a yeah. little bit more about you. Okay. Favorite NHL team? Ooh. Oh, good question. I would say because of where I'm at, I've always tended to gravitate towards the Pittsburgh Penguins because I'm in Pennsylvania. I I must say I'm kind of interested and I I do watch, you know, the Seattle team now that they have a team. So I'm, I'm partial to hometown teams and home area teams, but I tend to root for Pittsburgh the way they've been the last, you know, decade with Sidney Crosby and and them. So it's, it's fun to watch, but I enjoy, believe it or not, I enjoy NHL playoffs. I think they're tremendous. They're they're fun to watch. Favorite travel destination? I'm going to say Hawaii. I've been there a couple times. Really enjoyed that spot. All-time favorite professional wrestler? <laughs> Hulk Hogan. <laughs> he used to come he used to come to our training facility. He knew he knew our trainer down in the minor leagues when we were done eating Florida. He lived down there. So when he he would come in so that was pretty cool to see him in person. But, you know, he's a bigger-than-life figure when he was wrestling. So, I mean, uh, that's when I used to watch wrestling. <laughs> could he hit a baseball or no? Probably not. He could barely get out of He could barely get out of his truck. <laughs> uh, favorite baseball movie of all time? Well, I mean, obviously, everybody's going to say Field of Dreams. I'm going to say For Love of the Game. Really enjoyed that movie. And Mark, if you could golf or have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would you like to go with? Oh, boy. Three people. I would say number one would be my dad. I say that he passed away when I was five months old as a state patrol officer killed in the line of duty. So to me, that would be a tremendous opportunity to just meet him. Um, number two, I'm going to say Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Yep. Um, that is a tough, tough question. I almost want to get some people outside the athletic world. And I would say Kevin Costner. Would you prefer to be golf or dinner there, Mark? I would probably say golf because I I've always found tranquility in golf. I, for me, if I ever had to make an important decision in my life, I'd always go to the golf course. 
And I wouldn't, I wouldn't go with anybody else. I'd play by myself, but it's, to me, there's nothing better than a pretty golf course out there by yourself, twilight, sun coming down with your thoughts, but yet I'm still in a competitive environment. Any particular course? I like it. Like it. I've, I played one time at Pine Valley in New Jersey. I'd like to run that back one more time. <laughs> or ideally, Augusta National is my all-time favorite course. Yeah, that's a bucket list item for sure. So one of those two. And then, Mark, if you could be an Olympian in any sport other than baseball or basketball, summer or winter, what sport would you like to do? I would say probably track and field. Yeah, We used to do some of that in college for conditioning, and we'd actually yeah. be on the track. So I get it when we're running with those 12 guys and basketball players and we're running 400s and 200s. <laughs> I, I get the high that track athletes get. I, I get it. It's kind of It was kind of fun. So I think that would be something that would be pretty exciting. Yeah, getting to race against like yeah, Mr. Bolt, hey. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd be seeing the back of him, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, Mark, um just going to test uh just some of your teammates here just on the 1998 Dunedin Blue Jays. Do you remember the two Canadian right-handed pitchers that were your teammates? One was from Quebec. Yeah. Oh my gosh, a dark hair, dark skin tone. I forget his name. <laughs> ah. Oh, I don't I, I know I I can see the picture. I don't know the name. Uh, you gonna yeah, say it? yeah. Yeah, Yashapel. Yeah, Yashapel. And that uh, dark hair, dark skinned. Yeah. <laughs> and Mr. Joe Young. Joe Young. Hmm, I was wrong. <laughs> He he actually, yeah, Joe, he's actually, he grew up in Alberta where I'm originally from, and he was actually a pretty high level hockey player growing up and okay, and uh, ended up getting drafted there. I think actually both of them got drafted pretty high by the Jays, but uh, yeah, I always remember too coming up the Jays. There's so many guys that Toronto Blue Jays had in their farm system that went on to have successful careers in the big leagues. Absolutely. Had a very good, uh, they did a very good job of drafting talent for sure. And I remember that Jays team that first year in Dunedin, we had a lot of fun. It was a, it was a good group. I obviously I don't remember all the names, but for the most part, it was no. a pretty good first year experience for me. She said, Do you come from a land down under where women glow and men plunder? Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? Yeah. You better run, you better take cover. Yeah. You better run, you better take cover.